Hi there, and welcome to episode 48 of the Wayback Music Machine, the show that takes a lighthearted look at the week that was in rock and roll history. And Aaron, we're trotting the globe again this week. I think we've got stops where? In New York City, and then somewhere we've never been before. We're going to Ikea country in Stockholm, Sweden. Isn't, wait, no, 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 Toblerone, Switzerland, right? Yeah, no, we'll go, we'll go to Ikea country. Yeah, we'll go to um, Ikea country. You know what I love? is that in the last few weeks we've been hitting countries we've never hit before. South Africa, never doing Sweden. That's very cool. Yeah, let's go. It's a new year and it's a brand new Wayback Music Machine. CD player? Check. GPS? Double check. Roll bar? They're on the way. I'm Tony Stewart. I'm Aaron Badgley. And we're getting ready for another rock and roll road trip. Are you ready, my friend? I'm always ready. Well, in that case, buckle up, because it's road trip time. So where would you like to go first? You know, I'm thinking, uh, because of the year, we're looking at 1981, I think New York City will be kind of cool, because there's a lot of stuff going on with music in that city that week. So why don't we hit to New York, get ourselves a piece of uh, Vinny's and some garlic knots. Yeah, that sounds great. So let's go. March 28th, 1981. So here we are in 1981. We're in New York City, and we're going to talk about a band that uh, I don't know. We never talked about them, to be honest, Tony. So I don't know how you like them or not. I love them. Blondie. I do too. I do too. Yeah, Blondie are great. And, uh, this is an interesting story, isn't it? It's interesting for a number of reasons, but you're absolutely right. And this is, and it's also kind of marks the beginning of the end for the first incarnation of Blondie, which was kind of sad because, as you just said, they were great. I love their albums um, and their singles. Great band. And this week they had a number one, which was really significant for many reasons. It was called Rapture. Yeah, and I mean a couple of coincidences here. I mean, of course. Uh, this was their uh, fourth U.S. number one, and it was their last time that they would hit number one. But it was the first time ever that a song featuring rap and its lyrics uh, was was a number one song, and it was Blondie's Rapture. So uh, you can see all the tides changing in music, can't you? That's when it all started. And, and of course, the number one song by them just before this was The Tide is High, Tony. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> just your segue i love your segues well that's right especially the accidental ones eh <laughs> so to take a look at what's going on here with rapture um so debbie harry and chris stein uh they were friends like there was a burgeoning rap scene going on in new york city at rap hip-hop i i struggle with those two terms because i'm not sure the exact differences between the two i'm not sure about you but no, I don't know that. I mean, I know there's a difference, um, but I don't know. But I do know at this time in 1981, it the hip hop term didn't exist. It was just rap. Yeah. So there was a burgeoning rap scene that, uh, you know, by the end of the 70s going on in New York City, especially in that area in and around the Bronx. And Debbie Harry and Chris Stein were actually friends with a few of these guys, you know, a guy named Fab Five Freddy and Grandmaster Flash. And both of those guys actually made cameos in the video. But you can tell that something special is going on even when you watch the video. Um, have, have you seen the video for this? 
about a million times. Yeah. I, I used I had the most severe crush on Deborah Harry for so many years. <laughs> well, who, who didn't, right, back then? <laughs> I actually have, just so you know, I've got Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five first single. Oh, do I, you? I, I do. The, the, the Grandmaster Flash was amazing. He was just brilliant. Um, Fab, Five, Fab, Fab, Fab Five Freddy was also very good. And, and um, the, you're right, Tony. There was something... It, rap was taking... Rap was kind of picking up where punk left off in New York because the CBGB scene was kind of dying down. And, of course, Blondie was part of the CBGBs with the Ramones and Talking Heads and television and all those great people. Patti Smith. But, you know, that was dying down a wee bit and rap was coming up and it was very underground at the time. Very, very underground. Oh, absolutely. And um, uh, Debbie Harry and Chris Stein, they had been to some shows and they loved the energy at these shows. And they decided let's incorporate this into a song and let's feature these guys. And I think that's kind of cool, right? That, uh, you know, Fab Five Freddy, say that five times fast, by the way. I couldn't say it once slowly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Grandmaster Flash are featured in the video, but there is an extended rap break where Debbie Harry is, is rapping. And even that in itself is uh, pretty impressive because she does a good job. And it's something that's completely out of her comfort zone as an artist. So pretty neat to see her do that and pretty neat to see them featuring uh, these rap artists in the video. And it brought this music to the forefront. Well, it broke down some barriers for sure. And this is a time when Blondie was starting to fall apart. So as good as this album, this is from an album called Auto American, which was their fifth album. They would go on to do one more album called The Hunter, which which was really a flop. And um, for them, I mean, it made the top 20, but it would, there was no big hit singles off it. And the the original name for Auto American was Coca-Cola. Oh, but yeah. Coca-Cola, yeah, but they, Coke said no way. Uh-uh. But they wanted a title that sounded very traditionally American. So they so they went with American, Auto American, which I love the name of that album. Now this, uh, not only was this the first uh, song to hit number one that featured rap vocals in it, but it was the first rap video, right, played on MTV. You're right. It was the first, I mean, yeah, it got, and that, when you say that got exposure then for Grandmaster Flash and, I mean, okay, they're, they're kind of making cameos in this video, but at least they're being name checked. Well, absolutely. And featured pretty prominently, actually. So uh, all around, though, an interesting time and you can see musical tastes changing. And like you say, punk was winding down and, uh, you know, rap was on its ascendancy and, of course, hip hop shortly after that. But uh, that scene in uh, New York City must have been pretty amazing. It, it must have been just thrilling because New York is always on the cusp of something new, even today. I mean, there's still stuff going on in, you know, New York that you kind of go that we're going to hear about five years from now and go, oh, my gosh. Let me ask you something. Question. Let me ask you a question, Tony. What did you think of the song um, Rapture when you first heard it? Because, I mean, it was a, it was a departure for Blondie as well, right? Yeah. You know what? I don't remember it all that well when it first came out. I, I heard it a few years after, to be honest. I, I didn't know what to think of it, to be honest. What about you? Well, initially, my first response was they kind of, it was like, what what are they doing? But then it, it dawned on me that they were doing what exactly Blondie has always done, which is push the envelope a bit. And um, it was a bit out of, out of my comfort zone in terms of my musical taste at the time. But it was because of them that I discovered Grandmaster. I mean, I, I, have you ever heard the message by Grandmaster Flash? Yeah, yeah. It, it's a it's a fantastic song 
just fantastic. And and I wouldn't I don't know that I would have listened to that had I not seen him in Blondie. So it opened the door for me for early rap, and that was kind of cool. I'm I'm not a big rap guy these days or hip hop, but early eighties rap there's a lot I liked. Oh, me too. Remember the collaborations, right? Run DMC and Aerosmith when those guys oh, yeah. that, that was great. Yeah, I forgot about that. That was huge. Yeah, Yeah. it was fantastic. But, you know, the other thing that I like about that whole scene is that here are uh, Debbie Harry and Chris Stein, and they're friends with guys who are making a totally different type of music. And Rapture is a a pretty loving tribute to those guys, I think. I would agree. And and it stands up. I think, you know, I heard it the other day uh, on, on the radio, and I thought, you know what? There's a there's a Chris Stein played guitar and there's a great guitar break right after the rap and it just it's it's worth it just for that one millisecond of guitar you know but but I love the song. Now you know the other thing about Rapture just from a musician's point of view there's no sample sure. there's no sampling in that song. That's an excellent point. That is an absolutely excellent point. It was all created by them, right? All created by them. So uh, you know I struggle. I, I I'm not going to lie here and it, this might upset some listeners but I struggle with the whole sampling thing. Um, you know, the fact that this song isn't using any samples, but is actually being played uh, for me is a big plus. Uh, you know, I, I, it's funny you say that because after all these years of listening to that song, that never dawned on me. But that is the difference with that song and actually some of the early rap records that did that they did create their own music to go along like the, like the message. I mean, that was all Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, right? Well, that's right. Yeah, and I like that old stuff, too. But uh, yeah, for sure. I, I'm I really struggle with uh, sampling and <laughs> me, too. You know, me too. Although Linda said to me, we were talking about sampling, and she said, you know, it's okay if they sample if you know they've sampled. Like, in other words, if you hear something, you go, oh, that's so-and-so. But it's when they would sample stuff and speed it up or change the pitch or do stuff that you're not quite sure if it's a sample or not. And then they're claiming, like, it, it, there's different degrees of sampling, I suppose. But I'm with you. I struggle with it. I, I've always struggled with it. I don't, I don't dig it. So, you know. Yeah, you know, and I've heard the other side of the coin, the argument, well, look at people who make a song that sounds exactly like someone else's song, right? Uh, yeah, and, and they get sued. And then get sued, I mean, like like George like, Harrison. Like a, or, or or Ray Parker Jr. with, with um, yep. Huey Lewis in the News, or Joe Jackson and Badfinger. There's, there's so many people have been sued for plagiarism. George Harrison, you're right. Uh, again, George Harrison. So... That I think that's fair. If, if you've if you've you're a musician, if you write a piece of music and then someone takes it and has a massive hit, don't you think you have a right to some credit? Uh, absolutely, a songwriting credit so that you get some of the royalties, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and we talked about that last week. I think was with Wimoway. You know, yeah. here's a song that everyone in the, under the sun covered, and the writer never saw a penny. No, exactly. But, you know, uh, I'm curious uh, what was on the charts this week. Again, 81, uh, just that whole new trends emerging. What what did you pick for charts? Well, I was going to do the top five American, but then we knew number one, which was... <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> Rapture. So I went to the UK to see what was in the top five. And as usual, the, the UK give us that um, mixed bag of everything. So number five was a band called Coast to Coast. A song called Do the Hucklebuck, which was actually a very old song, but redone. Number four was Adam and the Ants with Kings of the Wild Frontier. Um, Adam and the Ants were always one of those bands that confused me, because I, I didn't know if I liked them or didn't like them, but they were always fun to watch. Three, Kim Wilde, Kids in America. Love that song. Uh, two, th- here's a song that you should be able to identify. 
because you're in the process of, of gussying up your house. <laughs> Shaky Stevens and this old house. Yep. You, you, yep, you know what I'm talking about. I sure do. That's a great song, too. It's another oldie. So you see in the top five, you have two remakes that are quite old. And the number one's a remake, but for a different reason. Number one was Roxy Music and Jealous Guy, which was actually subtitled Tribute to John Lennon. And uh, I just heard news today, Tony, and I, I tell you, this made my day. Roxy Music are coming to Toronto with the original lineup minus Brian Eno in September. How oh, happy am I? My goodness. Yeah, that's fantastic. You should come. You should oh, come, my friend. You know what? They're great live. I, I'm thinking I will. Yep. <laughs> so that's the top five UK singles on this date in 1981. Well, not this date, but um, March 28th. Quite a mixed bag. But uh, what did you think of Roxy's version of Jealous Guy? Just off, just off the cuff. Well, you know, I like it. Um, it's always hard to compare to something as classic as as john lennon's original version but what do you think did you like it same as you i, I mean it, it, i still prefer lennon but it was a nice it was a nice tribute to the man i think they 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 did a very sincere uh tribute and a nice arrangement and it it uh i was happy to see it at number one uh in 81 because it just felt like people hadn't forgotten too soon you know well yeah this would be still pretty fresh right it's march it would be march 28th 1981 so yeah now we're going to jump ahead to April first, but uh, we're going to go to Stockholm in Sweden. And this is not a this is not an April Fool joke. No, no, we're going to go to Stockholm, and we're going to be talking about a story featuring someone that you absolutely adore, and I love him too. Uh, we're going to be talking about Bob Dylan. So let's jump ahead to Stockholm, Sweden, April first, two thousand and seventeen, and we'll be right back. All right, we are in Stockholm, Sweden. It is April the 1st, 2017, and I'm sure a lot of people thought maybe that this story was actually an April Fool's joke. Do you remember how polarizing it was when they announced oh. that uh, Bob Dylan had won this award? Joni Mitchell was very outspoken that he did not deserve it. Do you remember that? I do. I do. Yeah. So we are, of course, talking about the Nobel Prize in Literature and Bob Dylan uh, was the first musician to win that. And it was really, really divisive. I remember there were all kinds of people saying they were going to boycott this thing. And, and uh, personally, I think it was a great choice. And, and I think it was very cool that they went out on a limb like that. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think, I think if anyone is deserving to be the first recipient, it would be Dylan. I, I, I mean, his Absolutely. lyrics, read, they read like poetry, right? Well, yeah, they are poetry, right? They're poetry set to music. And now notice we're saying the 2016 Nobel Prize because uh, Dylan was awarded the prize and they weren't sure uh, whether he was going to come and accept his award or not. And it, it took quite a while, didn't it, for him to, to make it out there? Well, he didn't actually claim it. I mean... He sent Patty Smith, who I talked about earlier, he sent Patty Smith, he asked her if he'd, she'd get it in December, and she read his his statement, and he recorded a 27-minute, um, I guess the only word I can use is lecture, set to music. There's a some really cool jazz piano playing behind it. As he reads this, I love the text. If you have 27 minutes to kill, it's well worth listening to. But... Um, 
he didn't actually physically get it until until April 1st, although it was awarded in 2016. Uh, yeah, so we got it in 2017, but he didn't pick it up. He got it in 2016, but he picked it up in 2017. And he said that um, at the time, he said he couldn't go in December because of pre-existing commitments. Yeah, like I have a wedding to go to. and um, <laughs> yeah, That's right. I've got to do my hair that weekend. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think the dog is going, the, the dog groomer needs me to come in. <laughs> <laughs> a pre-existing good what what commitment do you have that you cannot get to get your nobel prize <laughs> well that's right now you know there was a, a famous article in, in the new york times and it was talking about some of the people that backed dylan's uh nomination right stephen mm-hmm. king joyce carol oates salman rushdie i mean these are these are heavyweights in the literary field and they thought hey uh if uh they're going to nominate Bob Dylan. That's a great choice. And I'm on their side, I think. Well, you know, uh, me too. And I'm, I was proud to see Stephen King there because I'm, a, I'm a, a huge Stephen King admirer. And a poet, the former U.S. Poet Laureate, Billy Collins, actually supported uh, Dylan getting it as well. You know, Solomon Rushdie is quoted saying, Dylan is the brilliant inheritor of the bardic tradition. And I, I, I mean, I, Solomon Rushdie is wonderful with words. I think that sums it up. No, exactly. And uh, good on the Nobel Committee to, uh, you know, to do something a little different and uh, push the boundaries a little bit and uh, a fantastic choice. Now, you, I love what you did, though, Aaron, with the charts here. You did uh, something again that we've never done on this show. You picked the top five Dylan albums by sales. So what do you, what do you got? And I, I have to, I'm glad you said by sales because, you know, everyone has their favorite Dylan album and, and I certainly have mine. And so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to look at his record sales and end it. Number five is an album called Modern Times, which, by the way, is in fact a tip off to Charlie Chaplin, who Dylan is a big fan of. Um, Modern Times being an incredible film, silent film made in the 30s during talkies. Here's Charlie Chaplin making a silent film, of course. Charlie Chaplin. Dylan, in the 2000s, made a very bluesy, very old album, very old something album called Modern Times, 2006. Number four, I mean, I'm, I can't even express how much I love this album, Desire, uh, featuring the hit Hurricane, number, uh, which came out in 1976. Number three is my very favorite Dylan album, 1975's Blood on the Tracks. Yeah, that's a fantastic, fantastic oh. album. What, what can you what can you say, Tony? You mm-hmm. you love it, eh? <laughs> Although I do have to say, my favorite. I'm a fan of Dylan. He doesn't do a lot of interviews, and he was interviewed in '76 or '77. And the interviewer said, um, "Blood on the Tracks" is my favorite album. And Dylan went, "Yeah, I couldn't figure out why so many people love to hear an album of so much ab- ab- absolute pain." <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's always one to speak his mind. That's for sure. So, come on, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Or the other one where he's at the airport. I think we talked about this before, and they said, how would you, how would you describe yourself? I'm more of a song and dance man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love him. Number two, Greatest Hits Volume 1, which came out in 67, and only made it to number 10. The other three albums all made it to number one. His Greatest Hits only made it to number 10. However, it just kept selling consistently throughout the time. And number one is Greatest Hits Volume 2, which was a double album that came out in 71. And again, it didn't make number one. It made number 14. And uh, it still just keeps selling to this day. So that was the top five selling Dylan albums. And uh, yeah, I have to agree with what you said. I, I thought the uh, Nobel, you know, they, they, they went outside the box. They thought of something different. And they, they were they were pretty gutsy to do this. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm ready for a, a commercial break here. 
And I found a great one. I sent it to you earlier today. And uh, isn't that isn't that a classic? I got to tell you, when, you, when I, I didn't know what to expect, you said, just listen to this. Just I forget how you worded the email. And I, I put it on and went, oh, my gosh, this guy's you're like a magician. You found this. And, and you, I, I, Tony will explain why I'm so impressed after you hear it. OK, well, it's one for the money, two for the show. That's Carl Perkins, Mr. Blue Suede Shoes in person. And he's coming to Memphis, Tennessee, direct from the Perry Como TV show. Carl Perkins will rock and roll into Overton Park Shell for a great show Friday night, the 1st of June, 8 p.m. Hear him sing Blue Suede Shoes, Honey Don't, and his sensational new Bop in the Blues. There'll be Johnny Cash in the Tennessee, too, with Cry, Cry, Cry and Folsom Prison Blues. Rock and Roll Ruby with Warren Smith. The new sensation Roy Orbison and his Teen Kings with the Ooby Dooby. Hey, baby. Jump over here when you do the ooby dooby. I just gotta be near And the rockin' daddy, Eddie Bond and the Stumpers. It's a great country rock and roll show starring the new sensation of the nation, Mr. Blue Suede Shoes, Carl Perkins in person. Buy your tickets now for Johnny Cash, Warren Smith, Roy Orbison, Eddie Bond, and Mr. Blue Suede Shoes, Carl Perkins in person. Friday night, the 1st of June, 8 p.m. at Overton Park Shell in Memphis. So I want Tony to explain it, but I mean, that commercial is is so incredible for on a number of accounts for a number of reasons. And given what we talked about, Tony, why don't you speak a bit about this commercial? Because you, you, you found something like gold here. Yeah, and it took a bit of digging. But, you know, we talked about Carl Perkins on the show last week and about his uh, accident, his car accident on his way to do the Perry Como show. But this um, commercial that we just listened to this promo for sun the sun records concert would have been recorded before his accident right just assuming that he was going to go on the perry como show because they say on it you know you heard him on the perry como show so um it's just a little slice of history and i i found it so fascinating i thought i've got to include that on the show well it's so fascinating because as you say you know we had talked about this and can you imagine having to re-record that but it just it was it was pure gold that you found that that it was just amazing and 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 that it wasn't actually re-recorded you found the original advertisement and i just was i was so impressed oh well thanks very much but you know it's a fun part of doing this show because i'm a history buff as well as a music buff and uh, anytime you run across something like that then you just have to you have to include that in the show now this story this one really took on wings didn't it we're in london and it's 2007 april 3rd although this story may have been more appropriate for april 1st and it's featuring keith richards from the rolling stones and this one took on the almost urban legend quality didn't it um well can, can i just say that this should be an ozzy osborne story <laughs> yeah it should be an ozzy story i mean i i'm sure uh ozzy's probably <laughs> kind of upset that he didn't think of this first but this was the infamous infamous incident where he told mtv news that he had snorted uh, his dad's ashes which is just crazy right like and he was joking around but he said here's the quote uh i'll you know i'll, I'll try my keith can you do a keith richards or do you want me to try well, it's just, uh, no, you try. Okay. Here you do. I'm, I'm always, I do Aussie. This should be yours. Okay. He was cremated and I, I couldn't resist grinding him up with a little bit of blow. So there you go. But uh, yeah, the the point being that. You know uh, what? Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Bravo. Bravo. <laughs> you know, the point being that the interviewer, uh, Mark Beaumont, was convinced that uh, 
Keith Richards was not joking when he talked about snorting his uh, late father's ashes. And it, this story, man, it, it got legs. Well, because it's not every day that one hears someone talk about inhaling their father's ashes, um, especially <laughs> mixed up with cocaine. I mean, it's of course it's going to get legs, right? I mean, it, it, it's it's one of those stories that you kind of go, I hope this isn't true, but my gosh, it's Keith Richards, so why wouldn't it be true? <laughs> well, yeah, and uh, you know, the, when Beaumont was interviewed about it, he said, well, he seemed quite honest about it. There were just too many details for him to be making it up, uh, Beaumont later told the BBC News. And I can only imagine that Richards was probably having a field day telling the story, right? Because he was pro- he was stringing Beaumont along totally. Well, it, you know, it, it fits with the, look, we know that a lot of the stuff the Stones have said and done over the time has all been fake because they wanted to conjure up a, a bad boy image even even Mick Jagger's accent I mean this is a guy that came from middle class London who tried to put off a you know tried to put on a cockney accent for many years like, knock it off Mick you're like rich stop <laughs> so but but um but you know I mean, I mean it's it's like what it's that kind of story it's like the story about Rod Stewart or it's like the story about whoever you know there's always these these great mythical not mythical but yeah human you know urban myths right this is a good one though and would you not be would you not would you be totally surprised if it was true oh i don't think i'd be surprised at all to be honest i mean you know you kind of go I, who knows right i think he's having the guy on i think mick or, or or he's trying to see how far he can push things and you know part of me thinks more power to you dude because you know the press is terrible and all that kind of stuff but at the same time i mean it's it's keith richards did you see um did you see him at pirates of the caribbean yeah yeah <laughs> Well, that's who that character supposedly was modeled after, right? Was Keith Richards. Like Jack Sparrow was was deliberately... Jack Sparrow, yeah. Yeah, modeled after Keith Richards. And, uh, you know, I have a feeling, too, that maybe Beaumont might have asked a stupid question, and then Keith Richards just decided to have some fun with him, right? Again, who can blame them? I mean, can you imagine? You know, I, I think I shared with you when I was just recently interviewing... Ian Anderson from Jethro Tull, the first thing he said to me was, I just spoke to some American reporters and I'm not in a good mood. Oh, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> no, but you know, you hear guys like Lou Reed and, and other ones who just have a field day with the press, right? Well, we talked about this before. Do you remember we talked about those awkward moments or those moments where you're cringeworthy when someone someone says something or someone asks a question and the, and the artist, the musician kind of just either berates them um, or gives us something back which is you know inane like dylan you know how do you describe yourself a song and dance man exactly exactly (laughs) one of my favorites john lennon how'd you find america turn left to greenland (laughs) that's such a great such a great quote um now you know of course richards uh denied that he actually snorted the ashes uh of his father but uh like you you say you say it's so straight (laughs) Oh my gosh! I I don't know uh, I don't know what else to say about this story, Aaron. It's just so out there. You know that you know I I I, I just gotta say, did you know the stones are touring again? I heard that, which is fantastic news. Yeah, I mean, I hope I hope he saves some of his dad's ashes to make some of the coke for the tour. You know, but <laughs> well, that's right. Now, who who's going to be their drummer? Yeah, I I read I read his name. He's like a session player. Okay. Um, so there's only really, it's like the Who, right? The Who are two original members, and Stones are technically, I'm going technically, 
two original members, just Mick and Keith, because mm -hmm. Ronnie Woods came in, what, mid-70s, right? Yeah, that's right. He was a late addition. So they are, but I, you know, I'm, I'm curious. What happened with Bill Wyman? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. He just disappeared out of the stones one day. It was like kind of what what the hell happened to the guy? Like he he's still playing. I saw he he just played with John Mayo, um, but he just uh, did he leave or was he given a package? You know what I mean? Like without well, a cake. It's the same thing with uh, John Deacon from Queen, right? Who uh, like biologist? Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. become like a some kind of recluse, and uh, they never talk to the guy, and he never communicates with them, and. It's bizarre. It is bizarre, right? Because Queen's still going. I mean, they got Adam Lambert, and they're still mm -hmm. touring and, and doing... Yeah, it's weird. Inquiring minds want to know. Maybe one day there'll be something come up about Bill Wyman leaving, and we could talk about it, well, you know? Well, that's exactly. Now, inquiring minds, though, want to know what uh, chart you picked this week. So what what'd you pick for this one? I like doing the Canadian charts every so often, Tony, just because, heck, we live here, right? Well, yeah. And I, I, I'm going to say that I don't own, I don't have any of the top five. So why just, why just am I not shocked? Disclosure. Why am I not shocked? Okay, well, how many do you have? Uh, zero. The big donut. <laughs> Again, why we are such good friends. <laughs> number five is Akon with Don't Matter. Um, number four, Fallout Boy. This ain't a scene. It's an arms race. Okay. Number three, Justin Timberlake with What Goes Around Comes Around, which was not the most original title. Number two, Gwen Stefani from No Doubt, featuring Akon and The Sweet Escape. And number one, uh, Ottawa's own, isn't she? Avril Lavigne, uh, girlfriend. Is she, from not, is she not from Ottawa? No, she's from Napanee, uh, so outside of Kingston. Oh, right. I think, I don't I think know that's why where she's I keep from. thinking she's out of. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's Avril Lavigne girlfriend, and I'm not a big um, Avril Lavigne fan. No, and she's kind of in the where are they now category now. I haven't heard from her in a while. I think she's touring the summer. Oh, I think she's okay. touring. Um, yeah, she's doing a, a, a Canadian tour this summer. Um, you know, for the probably playing some of the smaller towns and smaller venues. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, exactly. Let's just leave it at that. Aaron, just be shh, quiet. Yes. <laughs> So it is time for our From Memphis to Merseyside moment, and we've got a big one. I chose that 1956 commercial because the Memphis to Merseyside moment is from 1956, April the 3rd, and of course it's featuring Elvis Presley. So let's cue up the music, and we'll be right back. The last couple of weeks we've we've done Memphis to Merseyside was a lot of Beatles stuff, but this week we're going to go back to Memphis for Elvis and a, an incredible story. Tony, you're going to tell us, right? Yeah, this was April third, nineteen fifty six, and this actually took place in San Diego, California. We've talked about this uh, show before, but this was one of the ones where Elvis is starting to go national, and uh, he appeared on ABC TV on the Milton Berle show live from the flight deck of the USS Hancock in San Diego. And uh, he, he performed a small set, uh, Heartbreak Hotel, Shake, Rattle and Roll, and Blue Suede Shoes. But here's what gets interesting is, you know, when they look at viewership numbers, about one out of every four Americans saw this show. So it's starting to happen. And uh, have you seen footage of this show? Yes, on uh, YouTube and, and a couple of documentaries, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because Elvis is still uh, a little bit awkward on this appearance. You know, uh, he, you can tell he, he's a diamond in the rough here. 
But you said one out of four. Yeah, that's 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 amazing. That's an amazing, a staggering number. Can you? Nothing today could even match that because of of, of, of so many. You know, we're five hundred channels and social media and all that. That's an amazing, astounding figure, don't you think? Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, Uncle Milty, of course, as Milton Burl was known, that he, it was a big time show. But here's another thing about Milton Burl. I watched an interview with him, and he was talking about that Elvis Presley appearance, and he said he got about a hundred thousand complaint letters. Uh, after. Complaint? Yeah, because people were not a fan of the type of music that Elvis was singing, right? especially uh down in the in the south and burl said uh, to the interviewer he said you know as soon as i got all those complaint letters i knew this kid was going to be huge see i love how i love that response because that's 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 a great response isn't it because instead of saying you know i i i alienated my audience he's like nah, nah, i knew this kid was going to make it you know that's a great response oh for sure and um a couple of awkward moments on that uh show when uh, Milton Berle, you know, was pretending to be Elvis's twin. And uh, I don't think he knew or realized that Elvis had a a stillborn twin brother named Jesse, who was his older brother, actually. How unfortunate, eh? Yeah. I mean, seriously, how unfortunate was that? I mean, that's just terrible. But again, he didn't know. I hope he didn't know, right? No, I don't think he did. And uh, Elvis, uh, you can tell that he handled it well. But uh, his twin brother was always on his mind through his whole life. Well, and I think, you know, research dictates that that's not unusual, right? But no, wait, that's Tom Jones. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, he was he was on his mind. And, and um, I, I just think, you know, again, you have to keep in mind, right? This was a whole new genre. This was a whole new... I mean, I think, to, to Milton Berle's credit, though, unlike Steve Allen. Yes. Who I thought... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? What would you say? How would you describe Steve Allen's appearance with, with Presley? Well, disgraceful. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good word. That's a good word. Milton Burrow was at least on some levels very respectful to him and very accommodating. And, and uh, I mean, it's an iconic performance. It's, it's, it's more so than Sullivan. It's his, it's his moment on TV. Yeah, for sure. And that famous Sullivan uh appearance comes later that year but you know all of a sudden this is the beginning of elvis presley shooting into the stratosphere and really you know the one of the seminal moments of early rock and roll history so very very cool and i know i know you've talked about this before so i'm going to reiterate it for you but can you not imagine what, it, what can you imagine being a well, let's say early teen watching elvis for the first time or hearing elvis for the first time or hearing that those songs for the first time Oh, unbelievable. And, you know, because the crooners who were popular before Elvis, they just basically stood there at the microphone, right? They might snap their fingers a little bit or something. But this guy is gyrating. He's, and of course, nobody knew what to make of Elvis at all. And that that biography that I'm reading that you got me for my birthday, which is great, uh, by the way, I'm loving that book, talks about that, right? Uh, Nobody knew what to make of this guy because it was so different i mean it's like it's 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 all and not not to the same degree because i'm not going to put blondie in the same league but in the same way rapture kind of no one knew what to make of that you know but at least there was some kind of context but elvis there was no context none zero as you say like sinatra might hug the microphone he might tip it to the left or tip it to the right but we're not we're talking full-fledged you know just 
going at it, you know? Fantastic stuff. Fantastic. Well, and you know what? The way you brought it full circle, comparing it to what happened with Rapture, what a great way to uh, end our road trip here. That was <laughs> Learning nice, from you, Tony. Nice, that was a great segue, my friend. And uh, <laughs> So that wraps up episode 48, Road Trip 48. And we're only two away from episode 50. We've got a few special things in the works for that. but uh, We do. What a fun trip, my friend. And I'm looking forward to next week. I, I look forward to every trip we do, Tony. It's a chance to, uh, to spend time with my friend, my best friend, and talk music. What else is what else do you want other than, you know, the occasional garlic knots from Vinny's in Brooklyn? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and on that note, folks, thanks so much for allowing us into your headphones. And if you do only one thing, tell a friend about our show. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening to our road trip. The music was by Rick Denis. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing, be sure to click the follow or subscribe button in your favorite podcast player. That way you'll be the first to know whenever we release a new episode. How else can people help, Aaron? They can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and check out our website. And if you think we're worth the five stars, please leave us a review. Thanks for hitting the road with us today, and we'll see you again soon.